I'm Jack again. Uh, we're continuing in a series that we've been in for a few weeks now called Constant, and the subtitle of that is the, the Heartbeat of Hope in Scripture, where we're kind of reading through the whole Bible together, and we're reading it narratively, so we're kind of looking at the story arc of Scripture and kind of seeing how that fits in with our life. And so we'll get into this idea of covenant this morning if you're following along, um, but we'll do that in a moment. I'm going to give you a quick update on uh, kind of a, it's been a family conversation, so if you're new this morning, this will be kind of a you don't have to check out, but it's not something you've probably heard much about. And so we've been exploring this opportunity that we have before us to, to move our um, Sunday morning worship space slash weekday ministry space up to Lake City Press, which is up on 123rd and Sandpoint Way. And we've been in that conversation for a couple months now as a community and asked you guys to give us feedback, to come to some town halls, to even over the last couple of weeks be praying over that decision. I've gotten some great emails and had conversations with folks who have taken that, that challenge up to be praying, and so I thank you for that. Um, and so I just want to give you an update where we're at. We, from everything I've heard, we're just leaning in that direction. We really feel like that door's open for us to move through, and that it really feels like the heart of, I'd say, the majority of our community is to go ahead and make that step. It's a big step of faith to do that, because it means change, <laughs> and change is usually hard. And so uh, I want to invite us to continue to uh, be in that process. Uh, we're not going to, if the way's clear, there's still some logistical things that need to happen, like a lease and those kinds of things that need to be worked out. And I'm working on those things uh, with Jenny and Sonia and our staff. And so I want you to know that, but it does mean also that we aren't going to, there's not going to be a change next Sunday or even anytime soon. The very soonest we believe that any change with respect to our space will happen is the first of the year. And so we really want to have time to not only um, move, if we move, to move into that space well as a community, I mean, moving several hundred people is not an easy task, but to also invite you into that move. And so it's not just equipping you to serve in different ways, but also be a part of the vision. Why? I've had that question come up a lot. Like, why would we move? Like, what's the point? You know, this seems to be a good space for us. And there's a lot of great answers to that question, but I want you to be a part of also fleshing that out a little bit. And so we'll have some opportunities for that, okay? And so that's just a quick update. Um, if you have questions for me about that, if you fundamentally disagree with it and you hadn't had a chance to talk to me about it, or if you want to be involved in any of those kinds of pieces between now and the first of the year, please come talk to me. So the process is ongoing. It's not like made a decision, done, I'll see you in the new year. I want you to be a part of it. I'm very much about kind of serving you as your, as your leader, but also alongside you. Does that make sense? Cool. Let me go ahead and take a moment to pray, and then we'll... Um, We'll dive into what God has for us through his word. Let's take a moment now. God, we thank you so much for uh, the opportunity to gather with uh, your people, uh, this community uh, that you've called us into, um, this fellowship. God, we thanks for the chance we've had to sing and to come alongside the Lee family uh, and to affirm them. And now we thank you for the opportunity that we have to open your word together. And so God, would uh, you reveal to us through this uh, this act of opening your word, you, would you reveal to us specifically in our own lives the places that you're, uh, you're wanting to encourage us, uh, maybe even challenge us, and then ultimately shape us as your people, as a community, but also individually as we go out into the week ahead. We know you've called us to places that are sometimes hard, but in many ways very good, and so we want you to go there ahead of us and be with us in those. So help shape us to that end through your word. I pray in Christ's name. Amen. Uh, so we're in this conversation around covenant, and um, let me open my notes here just a sec. 
I've got like the first generation iPad, so it's like a little slower than, okay, good. Um, we're in this conversation on covenant, and before we dive into that, because that's kind of a, I don't know if you've been on the church very long, but that's kind of one of those churchy words. And so to kind of um, get into the idea before we just dive headlong in, is I want to kind of ask you, I want to ask you this question, which I, th- I think will help frame the conversation, and it's a, just a simple question. What is your, your view of God? So when you think of God, you close your eyes, and you're thinking of a, a mental image of God, or you maybe a, you put a, a word association with God. What's your view of God? Um, <clears throat> I'll tell you a personal illustration, because a lot of us have a view of God that's been shaped by the church. We've been in the church for a long time, and we hear sermons, we go to Sunday school, and we have a view of God. Many of us, and this is me, didn't grow up in the church, and so our view of God was shaped by experiences outside the church. And so, actually, kind of a hybrid experience. I did grow up going to church at an early age, to the Catholic church. My mom is Catholic. And so, um, I love riding bikes. Most of you know that. And this is about when I was eight years old. How old are you? Never mind. He's talking to his dad. So, when I was about eight... Uh, one Sunday, uh, I was riding my bike, and my dad, you're going to think my dad's crazy, and he is, is a little crazy. He'd mounted, um, I mean, my church clothes, he'd mounted a bottle rocket launcher on top of my handlebars on my bike, my little BMX bike, and so it's like a steel tube, he welded it on. <laughs> so you're thinking as parents, like, that's kind of cool, but that's also about the dumbest thing I've ever heard, because I'm literally riding through the neighborhood, uh, launching bottle rockets, no hands, you know, like, and they're blowing off, and they're hitting my neighbor's houses and stuff. So I'm riding along Sunday morning, and, uh, and I wasn't watching where I was going, and I literally hit the back of a pickup truck. Thankfully, the bed was open, the tailgate was open, and just went kind of careening into the, the bed of the truck. My bike went under and was kind of just mangled, and like it just tore up my clothes, and of course, I'm just a wet mess. I ran into the house just screaming. And uh, my, my mom was mad at my dad and then me because uh, I'd ruined my church clothes. And then my dad was literally sitting in an armchair, his lazy boy. He's like, hey, you want to stay home, watch football? I was like, yeah, <laughs> that's awesome because I kind of hated church. And so that was the last Sunday, eight years old, that I went to church until uh, kind of my, my early 20s. Uh, stopped, completely stopped. And how that shaped my view of God was really... Uh, really powerful. I kind of had this armchair view of God, you might say, of a view that's slightly indifferent toward certainly church. My dad is definitely indifferent toward God. We've never really had a conversation about God my whole life. Kind of God when I felt like it, like Easter, Christmas, whenever I feel like God, I'll go, but not on, like I'm on, on my own time now, right? Um, and so that was kind of how, that was a powerful shaping of my view of God. Um, and what I'm trying to say is we all have a view of God, all of us, whether you follow God, know Jesus, or not. And you're here this morning a little reluctantly. And like I said, it's been shaped sometimes by our experience within the church and very oftentimes by our experience outside the church. One of my mentors and friends, uh, Bob Eckblad, he started a ministry up in the Skagit Valley called Tierra Nueva. And he has, he's written and spoken about this quite a bit in his work with people on the margins, especially uh, he works with migrant farmers and Skagit Valley and a lot of inmates and things like that. And that's been my work with him. He writes about it and he says this, most people envision God as this all-powerful, omnipotent, and omnipresent sovereign who controls everything. And therefore, everything that happens to people or to creation is God's will. Uh, Whatever happens, good, bad, it's been attributed to God. And therefore, some people have money and power 
because God wills it, possibly because they were good. Uh, Others suffer because they deserve it. And yet to others, God's a buddy, and therefore my God available to me whenever I want God. While there's another group where God is distant, judging, angry, punishing, and dissatisfied, especially, and this is important, to those who don't conform to God's or by proxy society's demands. So our view of God matters, right? It affects the way we live our lives. It affects not only the way we relate to God, but also how we relate to each other and critically to the world around us, whether we care about creation or care about non-believers or care about whatever or not. So let me ask you again, what's your view of God? Just think about it for a moment. Like this foundational, if you closed your eyes, your foundational core view of God. I'm going to argue that your answer to that question uh, will determine, when you leave here today, will determine how you live your life. Every minute, every breath. Like either it's with faith then in relationship to God or out on your own completely. Like I experienced God just in this 10 o'clock to 11.30 hour and then the rest of the week, silence. Or with confidence at the end of the story, like that enables you to live with as people of hope no matter who's in power. Uh, or you can live with despair. Like the other shoe's about to drop and oh my gosh, what's going to happen? With deep and abiding trust, you know, like at the outcome, not only with respect to the next four years, but with respect to today. Like you can trust God for the rest of the day today. You don't have to worry about it. So what's your view of God? Uh, and, and so we need to know who God is. That's what I'm trying to impress upon us. And to that end, this theme of covenant that I want to put before you, it serves as, as a sort of kind of mystical but also, I think, unambiguous way for God to tell us who he is, to communicate who he is with him, and then to learn how to live in relationship with him. Okay? So that's kind of where we're going. And if you have an outline, like you either have that booklet that says constant on the cover, or you have one of our bulletins, we've been following this common outline the last several weeks, and I want to do something slightly different. My sermons have not only gotten a little longer, but also slightly more dense, and I just think that it was too much. So I want to just approach this conversation, you'll see those themes, it's creation, disruption, hope, culmination. You'll see them kind of woven into our conversation this morning. But really, I just want to approach this theme of covenant through three questions, okay? Three simple questions. So what is covenant? And we'll look at how, how it's unique. Uh, why is covenant important? And then some specifics around it. And then where does it touch down in my life, okay? So what's covenant? Why is it important? And where does it touch down into my own life, okay? So you want to do that with me? You with me? This is your opportunity to walk out. Like, <laughs> not that any of you have ever done that. Bye, Aaron. Yeah. So, okay. So first, the first question, what's covenant uniquely? Okay. And if you want to understand the uniqueness of covenant, <clears throat> there's just a, there's a lot of places in the Bible you can, you can go to. Uh, it's literally written like all over the Bible, New and Old Testament. Uh, and I want to look at two aspects, the two unique aspects of covenant. Okay. They were both, they were in both those scriptures we read uh, Exodus 6, Jeremiah 31. Those words, that word popped up a number of times, right? So the first aspect I want to look at is from Exodus 6. And when we read that, did you notice there's this language of love and intimacy? I want to just reread a couple of verses. So Exodus 6, verse 5. Uh, I've heard the groaning of the Israelites, whom the Egyptians are enslaving. I've remembered my covenant, okay? And then the next verse, verse 6. I'm going to bring you out from the yoke of the Egyptians. I will free you from being slaves. I will redeem you. I will take you as my own people. I will be your God. So my people, your God, liberation, freedom, like this is 
powerful language, right? And, and did you kind of hear what that language is really about? It's, it's personal language, and it's possessive language, okay? Uh, I mean, who, and so who talks like that? Like, do you talk personally and possessively with every person in this room? Probably not. Like, you talk like that um, inside of your most intimate relationships. I'll just say that. Like, if you're overhearing a conversation on the bus tomorrow on your way to work, right? And, or in the grocery store. And, you know, you hear this person saying, my Johnny, my Susie, or the apple of my eye, right? Or my sweetheart, my man, you know, whatever that is. You are going to assume, just overhearing that conversation, that, that, that the person they're talking about on the phone or whatever, whether it's a child, a spouse, a close friend, is someone that they have a close and intimate, at a level, intimate relationship with. You don't just go around and say, hey, my man. You know, that's maybe at a level, but you've established a relationship in order to do that. So it's a deep and personal relationship. And so here's the, here's the key. As you think about Exodus 6, this is always the way God relates to people. Always. Uh, throughout the Bible, in every covenant in the Bible, if you read the covenants throughout Scripture, whether it's the first covenant between Adam and Eve and God, or later with God and Abraham, or in one of like, the most human covenants, like there's this beautiful one between Ruth and Naomi, if you know the book of Ruth, where Ruth declares to Naomi, they've all lost their husbands, there's a famine, there's this terrible event that happens in their story. And, and Ruth tells Naomi, her mother-in-law, where you go, I go. You, where you stay, I stay. Your people, my people, your God, my God. Where you die, I die. Where you are buried, I be buried. I'm going to be buried. May the Lord deal with me ever so harshly if, 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 if death even separates me from you. It means really like a marriage covenant. Isn't that amazing? And so their deep covenants are deeply relationalized. That's what I want you to hear first. They're, they're these personal statements that are filled with intimacy and love, okay? So that's the first thing here. The second is revealed to us in Jeremiah 31, this other passage we read. And it's the language of love, a law that is true in all covenants. So there's the language of love, and there's also the language of law. So Jeremiah uh, 31, verse 33. This is the covenant I'm going to make with the people of Israel. I'm going to put my law in their minds. I'm going to write my law on their hearts. And you see the same thing in other covenants in, in the Bible. Like, for example, Deuteronomy 29, um, Moses kind of organizes this covenant ceremony between God and God's people. And this is what Moses says. You're standing here in order to enter into a covenant with God, okay? A covenant the Lord's making with you this day and sealing with an oath to confirm to you this day that you're his people, that he may be your God, and as he promised you, as he swore to you, your fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Okay, where do you swear? Where do you take oaths? Courts, yeah, courts of law. This is like a, they're in a court of law, so to speak, though they're not. And so a covenant, in, at least in the Bible, is this bond that, that creates a, a really specific and special kind of relationship. It's a relationship, like I said, that's it's profoundly personal, okay, really intimate, but at the same time, also this really binding and unconditional relationship that, that's more than just personal affection and feelings, okay? It's bound by law. Uh, and so it's this stunning blend of law and love, and, it, and it's infused with intimacy, okay? Uh, now, why is, let me ask you this question, a binding promise, like a, a promise of, of law, of, of future love, so crucial for, for covenant, for deep, lasting relationships to really work? Like, why do I need that? A lot of us have come from backgrounds where it's like, I don't need to 
get married, I, I love the person, right? And love is something that I feel and feel, right? Some of us have come from that place, and we've been cultured that way. So why is a covenant so important with respect to not only marriage, but also as you kind of look at other relationships? There's this uh, Christian ethicist, Lewis Smeads, that I heard about early on in ministry, and uh, he has this, this book that he, is called Controlling the Unpredictable, The Power of Promising, Okay. And he talks about this. And if I could just summarize it to you real quickly, he says that, that he looks, locates the, the basis of our identity in the power of promising. So the power of making covenants. Basis of identity. And he says this. This is a quote. Some people ask who they are, and they expect feelings to tell them who they are. But feelings are flickering flames uh, that fade away with every fitful stimulus, right? And then he says some people ask who they are, and they expect achievements to tell them who they are. But the things we accomplish always leave a core of character unrevealed, right? Some people ask who they are, and they expect visions of the ideal to tell them who they are. But our visions can only tell us what we want to be, not who we are. So who are we, he asks. And he answers that by saying this, we are largely who we become through making promises and keeping them. We are largely who we become by making promises and keeping them, and that's covenant. It's not who you are now, it's who you're becoming, and you do that by making promises and keeping them. Does that make sense? And now, I don't want to give you the impression, as I'm even talking about this, that every relationship should be a covenant relationship. Just put the brakes on real quick. There are some relationships out there that should be consumer relationships. Like, for example, we just moved up to Pinehurst here in Lake City a few months ago, and I had a number of relationships I loved I loved my community we lived in in Ballard, and um, Ballard, Finney, Greenwood. And so I had lots of relationships with coffee shops and hardware store and restaurants and all that stuff, right? To approach those as covenantal relationships would be foolish, okay, and naive. Like, I've had to kind of break ties a little bit just to save gas. But also, I don't think any of those shop owners are bummed that I'm not there spending my buck. They're like, it's business, right? That's a consumer relationship, and we, we have those, and we need some of those. Same goes for contracts. Like, you buy a car, you buy a house, we just bought a house. You sign a contract with your car dealer or your mortgage banker, and that's a good system. It's a really good system. Well, we found out in 2009 it wasn't a good system, but we hope it's a good system. If one party or another doesn't hold up their end of that contract, there are consequences, right? And there are good consequences, right? You don't pay your mortgage, there's a foreclosure. It's an important thing, right? So... There should be some consumer relationships. There need to be some contractual relationships, but think about this. Uh, I don't know how many of you are married. There are a number of you who are married. If you express your marriage in consumer terms or in contractual terms, or if you have kids, and you think of your, you think of your kids in a sort of contractual way, right? Or your close friendships, or your church family, or your relationship to God, think of how dangerous that gets. I mean, just, just think for a moment about that. You know, do you see how, where that's going to go if you think in terms of contracts and consumption with relationships like this? Uh, and so here's the problem. M- modern people like us, um, we engage in relationships most of the time under those terms. We do. Not just with our grocer and our coffee shop and our banker, but with each other. And this is how it goes. I'll give you this if I get that, Okay. Uh, tit for tat, I'm, or I'm, I'm not going to give you this because you didn't give me that. Passive-aggressive, right? We keep score, we hold grudges, 
We cost account, right? We've been trained to do that. And as a result, those relationships are full of what? Bitterness, uh, suspicion, a little loneliness. Or we say this when it comes to faith. You know, I love the grace of God, but man, that law stuff, Jack, when you started talking about it, ugh, I don't like it. You know, I feel guilty. Or I believe in God, I want a relationship with God, but I, I want it to be on my terms. I don't, I don't need the institution. I'm probably preaching to the choir here because you're all here, but I don't need the church. I don't want people telling me what to believe. I, I, want, I don't want to give up my freedom. You know, I want to be a free person. I don't want to give up my right to determine what's right or wrong for me. And to be blunt, I'm just going to be really blunt here. Under those terms, especially when you read the Bible, that's not a relationship. That's not a relationship. Uh, call it what you want, <laughs> but that's not a relationship, not a, not a genuine relationship. God only really relates to people through this idea of covenant. Uh, and every time he seems to relate to somebody, Adam, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, just going down the line, man, it's always kind of through these covenantal terms. Uh, I will be to you, I promise to be this, kind of reaching forward for something and, and, and committing, you know, with little expectation that we're, he's going to get anything from us in return. Sometimes there is, sometimes there isn't. And so God invites us to do the same with each other, to be people of covenant, right? And that's, that's the first point, okay? This mixture of law and love, that's, that's what covenant is, this category-busting thing for our relationships that just fills them with, uh, it's very life-changing when you start to live inside of that, not just in your marriage, but in, in almost every relationship. Like I said, not every relationship, but almost every so that's the uniqueness of covenant, okay? And that's the first question. Hopefully it answers a little bit. Now, why is covenant important? This is the second question I want to meditate on with you a little bit. Or, or what is the, I would put, what is the context of covenant for God's people? Okay, when you read about it in the Bible, what are some of the terms of covenant? And I want to look at two with you. There's a lot, and this would be a, like an entire sermon series, but I want to look at two with you that come from this passage we read, okay? So first, back to Exodus 6. This is what God says in Exodus 6, verse 4. I've established my covenant with them, with you, to give you land. Okay, so that's the first term of covenant is land. And I want you to hear this. It's not just about land, though it is about land. I mean, it's not just a story of of, uh, the Israelites moving from one place, which was Egypt, to another place, which was Canaan, right? Uh, It is a story of that, but it's it's a story of something much, much deeper than just that, okay? And, and here's what that, that is. The children of Israel, as you probably know, were slaves at this point. And so they're, in their enslavement, it's critical to note, is they were not only worked, but they were worked endlessly. Like there, there's this brutal, punishing socioeconomic system that they lived within, punishing. And so they were very debilitated by it, very paralyzed by it, uh, spiritually, emotionally, physically. And so in their deliverance from Egypt, God is declaring to them, this sort of liberation that wasn't merely liberation from one physical place to another physical place. Because as we know, there were probably good things about Egypt and there were bad things about Canaan. So it's not just deliverance from one physical place like the grass is greener. It's not that. It is that, but it's, it's more than that. Instead, it's deliverance from their status or their mindset of enslavement to another status or mindset, okay? And this is what that is. If you go later in their journey... So Deuteronomy chapter 5, this is this, uh, one of the versions of the Ten Commandments. Ten Commandments, the fourth commandment. Does anybody know what that is? The Bible quiz. 
Sabbath commandment, yeah. I've often heard that the, the Sabbath commandment, we're going to get to rest in a few weeks in this series, but it is like the hinge that holds the other two books or the other two tablets of the commandments together. The first three are kind of vertical. The last six, am I doing that right? Are horizontal, how we relate to each other. But the Sabbath commandment involves both that vertical and horizontal. It holds them together, okay? And this is what God says about it in the Deuteronomy version of the, the Sabbath commandment. Six days you labor... Do all your work, seventh day is a Sabbath to your Lord. On it you shall not do any work, neither you, your son, your daughter, your male, female servant, your ox, your donkey, any of your animals, anyone, okay? And then he says this, remember that you were slaves in Egypt. The Lord your God brought you out with a, uh, with a mighty hand and outstretched arm. So that's kind of a, uh, that, that's that stuff from Exodus 6. And therefore, here's the, therefore, the Lord your God has commanded you to observe the Sabbath. So here's the connection. Remember you are slaves and therefore rest. Make sense? And this is a really extreme, it's this illuminating verse when you think about the land, okay? In other words, uh, by bringing the Israelites out of slavery in Egypt and bondage and the social and wealth system in Egypt that was just crushing their lives uh, and bringing them into this place called Canaan where they could, re- they could rest, they had no option to rest in Egypt but where they could rest, where there was an option to rest, where they could literally just put limits around their work, right? And where, where they could structure their days, where they could structure their relationships to each other, right? What we begin to see is that land, and then by proxy rest, is this declaration of freedom. Rest is a declaration of freedom, not the opposite. Uh, it's, so land is a picture of rest, and God's designed us for rest. You're designed for rest. You're not a computer, and even computers need to rest once in a while. And so there's this freedom Christ has offered us in Christ, and, and how I think I, this applies to our lives is if you don't rest, you're really a slave. You're acting like a slave if you don't rest. And I'm not just talking about the work you do for income or I do for income, because a lot of us are, are pretty good at stopping that work. You've stopped it. Well, theoretically, you've stopped it right now. You may be working up here, you may be on your phone or your device working because you have to, but we're pretty good at stepping back from our jobs. We, Seattle especially, love leisure, don't we? Okay, looking forward to the game later. But a number of us don't know how to say no, right? A number of us, a lot of you are just incredibly, as I talk to you, overcommitted in your lives. You said yes, 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 and now you're figuring out where you have to say no because you said yes too much. You're too busy, your kids are too busy, your family's too busy, you're, all, you're almost always, all of us, I'm in the boat with you, are too busy. And so let me just say, if you're always too busy, if, if I ask you, how you doing, and your answer is too busy, you just can't say no to somebody, you don't know how, you're a slave. You're a slave. Uh, it may be self-imposed. You may be, a, you're a slave nonetheless. You're acting that way. You're a slave to your own needs. You're a slave to your insecurities. You're a slave to your need to prove yourself to somebody else or to your whoever. You're a slave to our culture's expectations of you. You're just a slave. That's what Exodus is telling us. And if this is you, here's what I wanted to say to you. And I imagine it's a lot of us. You need to learn to say to yourself, to your heart, be still. Psalm 46, be still. Uh, Which is, like I said, a profound, rest is a profound declaration of freedom. Like when you say, my work does not define me. Be still. Christ defines me. Uh, I'm not defined by how many customers I get, how much money I make, how well I'm doing this thing, whatever it is, how expert I become in my field. 
I'm not defined by any of those things. What people think of me, how far I climb up that so-called ladder, be still. Be still and know that I'm God. That's the declaration. Rest reminds you of, it's meant to remind you of who you are. It's not just a day off, just a chance to take a breath. It's meant to remind you of who you are, who you were made to be, and, and critically, who God is. Listen to this. Be still and know I am God. We're not the ones running the world, <laughs> though we think we are. We're not the saviors. Like, I'm not the one ultimately who's bringing money to my family and food on a table. I'm not the one. That's the acknowledgement here. Uh, I'm not responsible for the political outcomes right now, though I would encourage all of us to vote. I'm, <laughs> I, I cannot be expected to bring my children or my neighbor, my non-believing neighbors or whoever, to an acknowledgement of Christ. That's not my job. Uh, I cannot solve the big issues facing our world, poverty, racism, sex trafficking, wherever they are. They're not, that's too big of a load on my shoulders. Be still. Be still and know that I am God. Well, I'm not God, but you know. And so land and then rest as a relationship to land is really about more than external rest of the body. We all need it, but it's more than that. It's, an, it's learning an inner rest of your soul. Coming to this posture of saying, God, I'm not you. And I'm not expected to be you. And you've created me for stillness. And in that stillness, you restore me to wholeness. Okay? Are you, are you with me in this? So that's the first aspect of covenant, is this invitation to rest as it relates to land. Okay? The second comes in Exodus 6, verse 7. And this is where God says, I'll take you as my own people. I will be your God. Uh, and to put this quite simply, this is just the language of adoption. Uh, which you just, you're going to find all over the Bible, again, you know, for example, like in Paul's letters, Romans 8, Romans 8 this is what Paul says, the, the spirit you receive does not make you slaves, there's that language from Exodus, so that you fear, right, but rather the spirit you received uh, brought about your adoption, he uses this word adoption, and he says, by him, and through this spirit, we can cry, Abba, Father, Daddy, some of you have your kids in your laps, like, Abba, Father, Daddy. Uh, the Spirit testifies with our spirit that we're God's children. So that's what Paul says. Jesus says it later, uh, or earlier, I'm sorry. And what this means is this. Like, when you're, what, what does it mean to be a Christian, if I were to ask you that question? Like, to follow Jesus, to be a Christian, what does it really mean? And I, I think the answer is right here. It means recognizing your adoption. You've been adopted. Uh, that something fundamental has happened to you. You... Uh, your status before God, a change in your status before God and before others. Now, think for, just think for a minute about this. A couple of you have adopted kids, so you're going to be with me, I think. But a lot of us have never done this. Adoption is not a result of a child's effort. A child did not choose that. In fact, many children who are adopted would have chosen otherwise, right? Uh, nor does it fundamentally cause a change in that child's nature or behavior. Like, you, you adopt a child who's misbehaving, or most of our kids misbehave, and... Uh, they don't just immediately become angels because they go into your house. <laughs> it takes time. And, and so the essential change is not one of behavior or nature, but it's a change in status. It's a legal change. You get adoption papers, legal change. And so what that means is that the adoptive father or mother or both or, or whatever, they, this child is no longer somebody else's child, right? You're my child. You belong to me, my family. You're not someone I just send home if you misbehave. Uh, you're here whether you misbehave or not. And, and, and you're here no matter how 
you're feeling or I'm feeling about things. You're here. Uh, we're here. We're a family. No matter the circumstances of here right now, you are part of this family. That's what adoption is declaring. So when you adopt someone, someone do you know what you're doing to them? You're legally, legally saying, I promise, this is this covenant stuff, I promise to regard you with all the commitment and all the love and all the acceptance I would my own child. And I promise to envelop your life within the life of this family, uh, whatever the structure of that family is, a single mom, single dad, mother and father, whatever it is. Uh, and by the way, this is essentially what we articulated to Callum and Corey earlier. We adopted them into our family. Though I don't know, Jerfie and Hannah might go, well, I didn't give you that permission, but like, these are your brothers and sisters, Jerfie, I mean, uh, Callum and, and Corey, like fathers, mothers, grandparents, cousins, like this is our family. And, and this family, in this family, they have, and we have, all the rights and responsibilities of children, okay? We have all the rights. You are children of God, members of his household. You have all the rights and responsibilities. Like when we invite you to serve, you're serving the church of Christ. He's the head of it. You're not serving me. You're serving our body, the body of Christ. And Jesus says as much in John 17. Listen to this. Father, I want you to love them even as you love me. And that even as is so, so critical. Father, I want you to love them even as you love me. Now think of this. How much do you think the Father loves the Son? How much do you think God, the Father, loves the Son, Jesus? Like most of us would say, yeah, that's a lot of love, right? Jesus talks about it. Father, I want you to love them even as, as much as, or more than, you love me. Uh, it's a powerful thing to consider when you think of the love of God, that you are adopted. And the Father says, I love you, I accept you, I'm committed to you. I'm as committed to you as I was my son Jesus when he came and walked the earth, died on the cross, rose from the grave. I'm as committed to you right now as I was to him. Uh, Brendan Manning He's written about this a lot, and, and probably he's said it a lot better than I have. He writes this, and I just want to read this because it's really powerful and it's really shaped me. He says, my identity as Abba's child is not an abstraction or a tap dance into religiosity. You may think of it like that, but it is the core truth of my existence. Uh, living in, in the wisdom of accepted tender, tenderness, he says, profoundly affects and will affect my perception of reality the way I respond to people in their situations, how I treat my brothers and sisters from day to day, whether they be Caucasian, African-American, Asian, Hispanic, how I, I, or Muslim, Christian, Buddhist, whatever you put, fill in the blank, how I react to the sin-scarred wino on the street, the prostitute, how I respond to the daily interruptions from good people that I don't like that much, how I deal with ordinary people in their ordinary unbelief and their ordinary day will speak more truth and see, more poignantly than my pro-life sticker on my bumper. That's what he says. And he goes on, he says, we are sons and daughters of the Most High God, and we're called to mature in tenderness uh, to the extent that we're for others, for all others, to, to the extent that no human flesh is strange to us. To the extent that we, we can touch the hand of another and, 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 and say, I'm for you. That's what this is about. You're my brother, you're my sister, we're part of the same family, you're adopted. 
Does it make sense to you? And, and it's, it's that understanding as an adopted child, as an adopted person, that really informs what it means to follow Christ um, and, to, and to, to walk with Jesus in your life, in your daily living. And that's the root. That's the root of covenant, rest and adoption. This is what God's trying to get through to us through this declaration, which kind of moves us into this final point, okay? The last question I want to look at really quickly with you and kind of where covenant touches down into our lives practically. Uh, and I did, I already got a little practical here, but I want to get a little more practical. How do we live covenant out? Like adoption, rest, great. How do I do that, okay, tomorrow or today? And here's Jeremiah 31 again. Uh, days are coming when I'll make a new covenant with my people. It's not going to be like the old covenant, you know, where they broke it. And this is the covenant, okay? Uh, I'll put my law in their minds. I'll write it on their hearts. I'll be their God. They'll be my people. Like an amazing promise, right? That's awesome. It's a deep promise of lasting intimacy. But it gets better. This is what God says in verse 34 of Jeremiah 31. No longer will they teach their neighbor or say to another, know the Lord, like as I'm trying to do right now, because they will all know me from the least to the greatest. Let me see, read, that, read that again. No longer will they teach their neighbor or say to another, know the Lord, because they will all know me from the least to the greatest. And here's what this is about. See, under these old covenants, there was little to no intimacy. Like it was really hard for the average person, you and me, because I would have been just an average Joe then. I'm pretty average now, by the way. There were barriers, there were compartments, there were curtains within this temple where they went to worship. So imagine our space, like we have those curtains, and there's like curtains and barriers and limitations, like depending on who you were and how clean you were, and male, female, slave. You get it? And what this did is it created this system uh, built on regulations and rituals and rules, but there was a lack of access, lack of availability, okay, to God. A system that kind of felt to the average person, very stale, right? And this, you know, if you do this, you, you can get near God. That's kind of what the system said. But if you don't do this, or if you did this other thing, you can't go. Sorry, you couldn't come to church today. Ate bacon. That's kind of the way it works. And on the other hand, if you do do this, like if you just do a couple of things right in your life, you're in. Yeah, just be good. And this is really what, when you dig into the Gospels, what motivated the Pharisees in their day, like the, the religious community, and that essentially kept them from living into all that, they, that God had for them. And despite their best efforts, they were trying to follow God. They were doing everything right, and that's the problem. Uh, it's what paralyzed them in some cases and just left them embittered and cynical, especially toward Jesus. And so here, this is what, this is what God's declaring. They will all know me. And by the way, <laughs> it's not just some, those who got it, but critically, those who didn't get it. The least, the last, the lost, the prostitutes, the winos, whoever you, however you want to put it, Brandon Manning puts it this way, as well as those, and this might be some of us, locked inside the walls of religion. We come here, we think we're going to meet God, we don't meet God. I was, God, I was on the right, I was on the path, man. I was doing my quiet time. I'm in the small group, and I feel like you're not listening. I feel like everything's going sideways. What's up? Well, you're locked inside a wall of religion. You're expecting things that, that's not the conditions of the relationship. They will all know me. And listen, it's not about me. Read the Bible, you know about God. Great. You will all 
know me. And we've heard this before, right? Like knowledge in the Bible is really just about head knowledge. Like Lot knew his wife. And like all the middle school boys are supposed to snicker. Like we, we know, like Psalm 139, you've searched me, you know me, you know my inmost parts. It's a very intimate way of knowledge. You've knit me together in my mother's womb. The way that God most profoundly knows us is through like intimacy. He calls us to know him by being intimate with him, right? And so that's the terms of the new covenant, intimacy with God. And so let me ask you as a final question, do you know God? Not, not about God. No, most of you know about God. You've been around church long enough to know about God. But do you know God? Like you're sitting there, I asked you the first question, what's your image of God? And did you draw a blank? Like do you know, do you have even an image of God in your mind? Would you even dare to try and conjure one? Do you know God? And so, so for, for some of us, like knowing God is like the greatest challenge of our lives. We try, God seems distant. Uh, He's cold. He's absent to us. I asked you what your view of God is. He's maybe angry with you, disappointed. Or you're in the doldrums, the so-called doldrums of faith. You know, if you're a sailor, like, the wind is just literally out of the sails and you are drifting. Um, you've lost communion with God. It was, there was a rich time, but that was long ago. You've been doing all the right things for all the wrong reasons with none of the expected results. Like, how do you experience intimacy with God? I guess is what I'm trying to push on us. How do you do that? And that's a great question, so I'm glad you asked. And it's like a sermon series for another day. But let me just finish with this. It's really interesting to me that in the book of Hebrews, chapter 10, book of Hebrews, my, it's my favorite book in the Bible. It's ironically the first one I read, which is not where I'd recommend starting the Bible, but that's what I did. The same chapter from Jeremiah is quoted verbatim. Hebrews chapter 10 Chapter 31 of uh, Jeremiah is quoted. So author Hebrews is quoting Jeremiah and kind of pointing to Jesus as the mediator of the new covenant. So there's this new covenant. I'm going to write it on your hearts. You all know me. And, and Hebrews is saying Jesus mediates that covenant. You see it in him. You receive it in him. It's through him you, you receive deep, deep intimacy. But here's the key. After quoting that passage we read, here's what the author of Jeremiah says, or the author of Hebrews says. Uh, Hebrews 10 verse 19, therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence now to enter the most holy place, the curtains are gone, or you can go through them, no shame. You enter through the blood of Jesus, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart, full assurance that faith brings, okay? And then he just goes on to offer this series of exhortations to us, like how we can do this. And I really believe it's like this framing passage for how you Walk out intimacy with God. Uh, Eugene Peterson has this paraphrase of the New Testament, or the, the Bible now, called The Message, and a lot of us read this. I love his paraphrase of Hebrews 10, 19 to 25. I'd encourage you to go check it out. This is what he says. So friends, we can now, without hesitation, walk right up to God. You can do that. It doesn't matter your image. He's invited you to walk right up to him, into the holy place. Jesus has cleared the way. He's acted as our priest before God. The curtain, he's the curtain into which you can walk into God's presence. And then he says this, so let's do it. Let's do it full of belief, confident that we are presentable inside and out. Let's keep a firm grip on the promises that keep us going. He always keeps his word. 
Let's see how inventive we can be in encouraging love and helping each other out. Uh, let's not avoid worshiping together, as some have been doing, but let's spur each other on, especially when we see the big day approaching. I just love that, both for its simplicity and its practicality, like draw near by keeping a firm grip on the promises of God. Do you have a firm grip on God's promises? Here's a few. That he'll be with you wherever you go. That he will keep you in perfect peace. That he'll never leave you or forsake you. That he will guide you in truth, all truth. That your labor, whatever that is, is not in vain. That you are being transformed into the likeness of Christ. That Christ, Colossians 1.27, we say it all the time, Christ is in you right now as we sit here. Those are some of God's promises. Do you have a firm grip on those? Can you declare those? Draw near by being inventive in love and mercy. How would that look in our community? Like to, to be inventive in loving each other and being merciful toward those that aren't even gathered here. Uh, draw near by worshiping together and by spurring each other on. I know we're worshiping together today. Let's keep worshiping together. No matter the circumstances of our worship, let's be together. That's the roadmap for intimacy, Okay. And, and intimacy is the mark of the new covenant that's made for us in Christ. God's promise to make himself known to us, okay? So pursue intimacy <laughs> this week. Be with Jesus. Not just be with people who want to be with Jesus, but be with Jesus, okay? And as you do, let me pray for us. I'll invite our worship team forward. God, uh... We thank you for, man, a big idea, a covenant, and, uh, and yet challenging as well, especially as it touches into our lives. Uh, so I want to pray for all my friends here, God, where it's touched them. And I'll just, God, I want to pray around three different areas. I want to pray for those of us in the room uh, that are exhausted. Um, where when we talk about rest, there's real tiredness. And it's related to not just the work we're doing <laughs> physically, but it's, it's our hearts, it's our, our emotions. It's, there's things that are wearing us down, eating us up. And, uh, and so, God, I pray for my friends around this theme of rest. Would you help us to declare to our hearts, to each other, be still? Would you help us to know that you're God? Would you help us to receive that truth, God? And God, I also want to pray around this theme of adoption. Like some of us, God, and I put myself in this boat, God, you know this, often feel lonely, often feel discarded, often feel like even you don't know. You don't know what I'm going through, God. And so God, would you remind us that we are your children? We are beloved in your sight. You love us even as you love Jesus. That's a profound idea, God. Help us to embrace it today us to walk with each other and declaring that to each other, over each other. And finally, God, I pray around this theme of intimacy. Like some of us, we're even considering like being with you, Jesus, and we're a little scared right now. Like it looks, it's very vulnerable to think of that. It's, it's, it's the sit in quiet and just listen for you. And so, Jesus, you promised to meet us in that place, to be peace for us. Uh, and so would you give us each an encounter and it'll be various levels, God, we know this. Uh, but would you give us each an encounter with your living son, Jesus, today and this week? 
And God, we thank, thank you that we can pray this in confidence because of the life that Jesus lived, the death he died, and the newness of life he invites us into through his resurrection. So thank you we can say this, and we pray in Christ's name. Amen. I believe we're going to have, if you'd like to continue praying or you came with something you'd love to have prayer for on this wall where it says prayer team, somebody will be there as we're even worshiping and responding now. But let's respond now to God uh, through song.